0: I have a friend whose God loves me sign is 316, for John 316. So whenever it's March 16th, I text her. Whenever I happen to see the time on my phone, 316, I screenshot it and send it to her. I just want people to feel the love of God. And if I can help, help them do that, I want to do it as often as I can. I have another friend whose God loves me sign is la- our ladybugs. I don't get that one, but whatever. <laughs> She likes ladybugs. And then I told you about my friend whose God Loves Me sign is, is a heart. And during the, after the lunch break, a very sweet lady gave me a bracelet. And I want you to, I, I know you probably can't see from where you are, but there's a heart, there's a ladybug, and John three sixteen. And I sat there on the front row, and I said, God, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If you sent a deer walking across this, line, and it came out from the corner, <laughs> three of them. You saw it. You saw it. Let me tell you. I do. I can't even get through this. I don't even. I don't. This is like cool. And then. Let me share this with you. I, I had two other blessings today, and I'll cut my talk short a little bit because this is. i just got to look for God working in your life. If you look for him, he will show up for you so big. I told you about the man who led my parents to, Lord, to the Lord, and I've never been able to hear anything about him or what he did, and I just keep telling the Lord, please, in heaven, let that man know the gratitude in my heart for him. I owe him a debt I'll never be able to repay. And my parents were saved in a little town called Jessup, Georgia. The pastor's name was Brother Geiger. And down here, uh, where'd she go? I lost her. Oh, she's with the baby. Um, Tell me her first name again. Katie. Katie? Okay. She, uh, Katie, was born, I believe, in Jessup, but either way, her parents lived there. In Jessup, Georgia, this small little town, it, you'd sneeze and you'd miss it if you shut your eyes while you sneeze. Can anybody sneeze with their eyes open? I know people who can do that. I can't. But anyway, if you, if you were sneezing sneeze and shut your eyes, you'd pass it if you are driving through that town. Her parents are from Jessup, Georgia. Brother Geiger, who led my parents to the Lord, started his church in her grandparents' living room. Can I, just unbelievable what is happening here today. Can I move here? I just feel, (laughs) wow, I cannot believe. the. And then let me tell you this, and this is such a blessing, and I would never embarrass her for the world. But I have to tell you, I have two very special girls in my life. And when I was here, I don't know if any of you that were here will remember, but my favorite sport to watch or play is tennis. I love tennis. I follow tennis. In fact, my big birthdays are hard for me. So 20 was very hard. 30 was, oh, 40 was going to be a nightmare. And so my birthday is in August. So my husband, knowing, you know, I have a tough time with big birthdays, told me in April, we're going to the U.S. Open for the first time on your 40th birthday. And I was like, oh, so I was really happy about that. Well, the dream of my life is to make it to Wimbledon. I want to go to Wimbledon so badly. One day, one day I'll get there. Every year, I save my change all year long. And we return bottles where I live, so I don't think you have to do that here. Oh, you do. So we get five cents back per bottle, so I save all those bottles. And every last bottle that comes into that church building, too, (laughs) goes home with me. But I return them all and then I treat my family to a night at the US Open every August. And last year was the most I've ever saved just from change and bottle money and it was $463. I was pretty proud of myself and frankly I thought I'd get a bigger reaction. But anyway, (laughs) that's a lot of bottles. But anyway, I, I treated my family to tickets. There's two girls in this room who have been saving their change for me to get to Wimbledon. On two occasions, they have given me $50, and this morning, I got $100. I am like one-sixth of the way there. (laughs) I I just can't tell you how—what a blessing, and I've been praying. It's Amanda and uh, Adrienne—Amanda's here today, not Adrienne, but uh, they're just amazing. And uh, how sweet, how sweet. Just, I love— I love those girls. I love the family of God. I love being here today. Thank you for everything you've done to make this just a wonderful day. I hope you've been refreshed, and I hope you've drawn closer to the Lord. I hope you will from this point out. I know I've heard some things that have changed my life. I could listen to Francie Taylor talk about cheese whiz and walk away change. So <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just sitting there on the front row like, does she have to stop like right now? <laughs> oh. But anyway, we're on to the last one, and it's so sad how quickly a day like this goes by, but I have loved being here. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I, I hope you do too. He loves you. He loves you. He screams it at you. He, when you walk outside today, getting your keys out of your purse and heading to your car, he will be screaming at you. I love you. This is what this is all about. This is for you because I love you. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just sort of lost your bearings a little bit? Where you, uh, maybe it was a time of grief. For me, it was a couple summers ago when I said goodbye to my mom. And uh, it was just a difficult time. You know, my mom had been a rock through everything that she had endured. And uh, that was in July. We, she passed away on July 8th. We had her memorial service. She, she didn't want to call it a funeral. And she never liked graduation service. So I'm like, what are we going to call it? And she's like, just call it the thing, the thing. Call it the thing. And then she would say, and nobody better wear black. I don't want any black. And so we, most of us wore purple, because that was her favorite color, or lavender. We, we wore that for her. But in August, just a month later, um, we were preparing to do a Sunday dinner that we have for the homeless people in our town. Our church puts on one of those four times a year, we wish we could do more, but we give everybody a bag of groceries to take home with them. We provide blankets, hoodies, um, hand and body warmers, depending on the time of year it is, we'll do fans that you can spray yourself with water or things like that. Um, Just trying to be a blessing to those who are what Jesus referred to as the least of these, And, and then we're doing it to him because we wanna serve people that can't do anything back for us. And uh, we've had many, many of them come to know the Lord. And many of them have begun coming to our church and, and gotten some stability in their lives, which is just amazing what the Lord can, can do if we'll, just, if we'll keep our eyes open and, and see a need. And I wish I could tell you the story of how that all came about. I just don't have time. But I, I'm responsible for making sure the meal is prepared and it's good, And hot. (laughs) Because when they go to soup kitchens or things like that, they don't get hot meals. And they get watered down soup. And they're lucky if they get a stale roll. And so we want to make sure we give them a great meal when, when they come and see us. We are their church. My husband is their pastor. They don't feel comfortable going into a building, many of them, and sitting down with nicely dressed people. But, um, but I'm, I'm their pastor's wife as much as they can have one. My husband is their pastor, and we love them. Um, but I was going to go uh, to the store to purchase some things that we needed for the meal, and I have a team of nine ladies that help me prepare the, the food. And I sat in my car in the parking lot, and I just really had just a meltdown. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I don't want to be shopping for anybody today. I don't want to. I don't want to do this today. I felt like I felt like you took my whole world to heaven. You just took you took the one of the dearest things to me, and and I just I don't really. And I know you know it's the natural course of things. It's your, people lose their mothers, and I understand that. But I wasn't ready. Are we ever ready to say goodbye to someone? You're never, you know, I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, I could live to be 150 and I still probably won't be ready to go. But it's, it's hard to say goodbye to people. Even when you've had notice or when you, if it's sudden, it doesn't matter. It's hard to say goodbye to them. And I was reminding God of what she was to me. And, and God just said to me, you know, in my heart, not audible, but in my heart, he said, wow, I thought I was the center of your world. Well, you are, but you know, I, I really loved my mom and you know, well, you talk about how you love me all the time, so which is it? Was she more important to you than me? Because she's with me, and she would say, Oh no, God is more important. <laughs> and I had to sit there for a minute and say, Okay, God just help help me get back to the center. I, I want to be centered. I want to be aligned with you. I, I don't want this to defeat me. I know how grief can be so hard, and, and uh, it just catches you by surprise sometimes. And, and even now, some, something will happen, and, and I just, you know, the tears come, and, and it's hard to lose them, hard to lose anybody. But I know that day God reminded me of who, who I always said he was in my life. God was the center of my world, everything to me. Um, we have something in our solar system. Can I pull this one off or use another one? This one? Is this okay? It's, it is on. Okay, good. You can go ahead and show that first picture. We have something uh, in our solar system that we refer to as the center of gravity. Who can tell me what that is? It's the sun. This is basic elementary science, but it is the sun. And you can see there the relative sizes of our, of our planets. That's from start to finish on an even plane. That's our solar system. And you will notice there is a tiny dot there. Uh, that's Pluto because Pluto is a planet. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> yes, I've got, I'm getting some hands raised in the back. That's the most spiritual thing that was said all day today. <laughs> Pluto is a planet. And so uh, you can see that uh, all of those, all the planets are up there. And, uh, and you can see there on Jupiter, now it doesn't look uh, so obvious in that picture, but you can see there's a spot there, it's a red spot. Does anybody know what's going on in that red spot on Jupiter? It's a storm. Isn't that crazy? Do you know that red spot is bigger than the Earth? and it's storming all the time. It's incredible when you think about that. The center of gravity of our solar system is the sun. Our solar system is 7.3 billion miles in diameter. I can't process that. It's just huge. (laughs) It's big. Jupiter is so big that 1,000 Earths could fit inside it. 1,000 of the ball that we're on right now 1,000 of these could fit inside Jupiter, which is just incredible when you think about it. The red spot's bigger than Earth. The next picture is a star. This blue uh, circle here is a star called Alpha Herculi. Now, if I were to ask you, what's the biggest star in the universe? What would the answer be? What is it? Well, okay, somebody said the sun. I guess I'm talking an actual, uh, something that's not the sun, but is a star. What's the biggest star? Starts with a B. Betelgeuse. There you go. It's actually not the biggest, but we label it at that. It is the brightest star. So it's not necessarily the one that you're going to see and view as the brightest star, but if you were to, let's say all the stars could line up the same distance from our vision, Betelgeuse would be the brightest star. Now, if you know about stars at all, you know they change their sizes a little bit. Stars can even implode or explode or shoot across the sky, and then we see a shooting star and we think that's really, Cool. How many of you um, saw the star? I'm not sure it was visible from here, but uh, Bethlehem too. Did anybody see that star a few years ago? Could you see it from here? No? Wow. Oh, Diana, how much you miss. Anyway, um, that's from Ann, if you're an Ann fan. I didn't know if you could see it here from now. I know you could see it from the East Coast. We have a spot where we go to in our town. And it's the top floor of the parking garage at the hospital, and we're just astronomy nerds (laughs) and we just anytime there's anything that's where we go to watch it it's pretty cool um and you're all (laughs) snoozing right now because you're just now realizing she's a nerd (laughs) i'm a nerd i'm sorry so if you see that black line that's going across the middle of alpha herculei alpha herculei i don't think i said this was at one time the actual physical biggest star in the galaxy i I think now it's number nine or ten because it has lost some of its um of its uh, size, but there are 21 little humps there, if you can see that, those little ovals, those, each one of those little ovals represents our entire solar system. So that plane of planets that I, w- that I showed you a few minutes ago, that's each one of those little bubbles, 21 of those can fit across that one star. Isn't that Amazing. Aren't you fascinated? <laughs> Aren't you glad I shared? But it's it's huge. Alpha Herculis is 300 times the size of Betelgeuse. Just in, it's incredibly huge. There may be, now this will blow your mind, because I can tell you're all really into science and planets like I am. <laughs> Do you know there may be as many as 100 million more galaxies out there. There are so many galaxies. Did you know the Milky Way galaxy is not the only galaxy? There may be as many, they can see a lot of them. Some of them they they know they're there but they can't quite see, even with the best of our telescopes, the Hubble Space Telescope and all these range rovers that we have all over the place, the Mars rover that is about to fall off and they don't know where it's gonna go, and <laughs> brace yourselves, you could, be, you could be like this carload of girls. <laughs> the moon! Um, but anyway, you know, it's fascinating when you think about the vastness of space. It's immeasurable. We'll never, we'll never see to the end of it. The next picture is uh, a representation of something called the Fibonacci sequence. Has any? Ooh, it sounds mysterious, doesn't it? Um, has anybody ever heard of that before? Oh, good, awesome. Um, a few more geeks. <laughs> Have you ever heard of something called the golden ratio, divine proportion? Okay, these are all similar terms for the Fibonacci sequence. Fibonacci was actually, that wasn't even his name, his real name was Leonardo Paisano, he was Italian. But he, oh, it's a long story, but he was trying to figure out how many rabbits would be born in a calendar year, (laughs) and he came up with this sequence, okay? So I'm gonna explain to you the sequence only because it really has bearing on this picture here, okay? So if, if you start with the number zero, and then you add one, zero plus one is what? One. If you go back a number, and you so you have one plus one is what? Two. Go These are not trick questions. This is basic math. Okay. So then you have two, and you go back a number, and you add those together, and then you have three, and then so on. Three plus two is five. We skipped four. Hmm. hmm, hmm. Suspicious. All right. So then three plus five, is, or five plus three, is eight, and then eight plus five is nine. <laughs> nine. (laughs) See me after class for extra work. Okay. And so on and so on. I won't bore you with all that because it really goes on to infinity. But he did discover how many rabbits would be born. And he also discovered something else in nature, that there are patterns that the great designer put in place to get our attention and to help us focus on him and how he designed things. His proof, way back in the 12th century, when people were still sort of philosophizing these crazy ideas and, and all of these things, Fibonacci said, no, this stuff all equals out. You look at the head of a sunflower, and if, you're, if you know what you're looking for, after a while you'll say, that's the Fibonacci sequence. That's the divine proportion, the golden ratio. Seashells have it. If you look at seashells, you, you can see the sequence. Uh, oh, pine cones, all kinds of things in nature have this incredible se- sequence. Um, hurricanes. Have you ever, I'm from the panhandle in Florida. I lived there for many, many years. Miss Francine lives there now. You can see when it's hurricane season coming, oh my goodness, you're just flooded with pictures of swirling hurricanes. And you can see. Now the, the, Importance or the significance of the Fibonacci sequence in how many of you would say this is the weirdest ladies meeting i 've ever been to in my life <laughs> I agree, but this is this is interesting, so you can sort of see how it 's like the swirl of a hurricane, right this is a picture of outer space. this is actually the sharing galaxy, so we can 't see this with our naked eye, but this is something they can see with with a very, very powerful telescopes but You can see how it starts to create a swirl coming back to the center there. And that's what the Fibonacci sequence, the golden ratio, golden mean proves, that there is always gonna be a center in things in nature. It's, it's always going to go back to a central figure. Now, when you think about you know, all that information I shared with you in about four minutes, you're looking at planets and stars and the hugeness, and the Bible says that the heavens are the span of God's right hand. How big is God? <laughs> How big is God? You can't put him in your little box You can't put him in your little corner of the world. He's so big. He's so powerful. He's so incredible. When you think about where we are and the fact that earth, this tiny little ball that we're all sitting on, and you know what's crazy? You know, (laughs) you you got to understand, like, we feel like because of something called the gravitational pull, we feel like we're standing on this planet, which is what led a lot of people to believe the world was flat at a, at a certain point. Do you know that's a, that's a thing again? People are, oh, how ridiculous. But anyways, we, but we're actually, we're like this. Even right now, we're, we're sitting sideways on this ball. Are you freaking out? Are you getting car sick? <laughs> are you getting planet sick? <laughs> but we're, it's just amazing how God designed it all with a... Central force to keep it all together. It's amazing when you think about it. But when you when you consider the hugeness, the vastness of this universe in which we live and all the uh, creation, the seasons, the change. Don't you love time change? Because then you wake up and sunrise is like a little bit later and you get to really enjoy it and and all of those things. And it's... Uh, lighter later in the day, so you feel like it's a longer day. I love it. I love time change. But it can make you feel like this. And and you all know that little saying that Horton says when he's considering there's life on that little dust ball. He says, a person's a person, no matter how small. And I want to remind you today... All of the things that go on in this universe, everything that God designed to make it go, to be able to put you here in your seat where you're not feeling like you're falling down or even out, but that you are upright. All of those things that God did. It was so you'd know how important you are to him. It's all for you. He knows what is going on in your world. You may not understand everything that's going on in this world. You may not even understand everything that's going on in your world. You've got to trust the one that does. He put his fingerprint on everything. Everybody, look at your fingerprint. Look at your thumb. You know what you see there? The Fibonacci sequence. You see the golden ratio, the golden mean. There is a divine designer that put that into so many things that we just overlook every day. Earth is the only planet with the history. God positioned us in just the right location to have an existence. We are neither too close to the sun nor too far away. We are just right to appreciate its warmth. But things can happen in this life that make us feel insignificant. The weights of life, comparing our journeys to the journeys of others, can make us feel as though we're in a continuous downward spiral with no hope of a way out. Did you know if there were no gravitational pull and you could stand on the side of the earth directly across from the sun, we know our planet rotates around the sun, right? You all know that? Okay. If you were to stand, uh, let's say the sun is right here, and you were to stand on the earth when it is polar opposite, on the side that is polar opposite from where the sun is in the rotation, and if you were to drop a pin through the earth, if it were possible, again, it's not possible to do this, so don't try this at home, kids, but if you were going to drop a pin through the center of the earth, it would not hit the direct center of the sun. It would be off-center a little bit. Does anybody know the reason for that? Because the earth sits on a what? An axis. We're crooked. So not only are we feeling like we're, we're upright on this ball, <laughs> but it's a wonder that we're not like this all the time. <laughs> because we sit on an axis. You know what that says to me? God did not design this world to be perfect, but he did design this world to work, and it works for our benefit. Do you know you can struggle, like I do often, to keep all your little plates spinning you know, like a like a circus sideshow, the plate spinner gets up there and flipping them and flipping them and one falls off and then, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm good to keep one plate spinning. But God keeps the whole thing spinning. Everything. We never have to worry for one second. Am I going to walk outside my front door and accidentally fall off and <laughs> be floating around in space somewhere? No, why? Because... He designed gravity to keep you pulling toward this earth. What a genius. Isn't that such an oversimplification? But God is an absolute genius. Isaiah 48, 13, My hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. You thought I was lying, didn't you? It says it. His right hand spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. How incredible is that? When God is your center of gravity, your world will not be perfect. But everything can work toward his perfect plan. One thing I love about God being our our center of gravity, what keeps us pulling for him, toward him, you know, we all understand how how gravity works. I have fallen more than once in my life. I fell not too long ago And uh, they had just dug up our, we had some millings down in our church parking lot. We were getting a brand new parking lot put in, pavement put in. I was walking our dog and I just lost my footing and I was actually running with him. And I lost my, yes, we take our dog to the church. He's a church dog, okay? And so I lost my footing and I was praising the Lord there was no more pavement or, or millings down there on the parking lot because I fell on the side of my face. And yeah, it was ugly. (laughs) It was really bad. So I know what it's like to trip and fall and literally fall flat on your face. I understand really well how gravity works. But you know, if I were to drop this pin a hundred times and I'm letting it slip out of my hand, I'm not going to do it a hundred times. But if I did, would you ever predict that just one time it would go up? and never come back down? No. You know why? Because gravity has no repelling force. Gravity only has accepting force. When I fell that day, the weight of gravity did not say, oh no, we're gonna push you back up. (laughs) No, I fell flat on my face because gravity only accepts you. It has no repulsion. It doesn't have that capability. Can you read that verse with me there that's on your handout? It's John twelve thirty two. Just a portion of it. It says, ready? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Guess who else in this universe has no repelling force when it comes to you and me? Almighty God. God does not have the capability to reject you as his child. If you could drop to him a hundred times in a row, there would never be a time where he would say, not now. Or, you know what? You can just stand there on your own. I'm just going to prop you back up and you can figure it out. Never. If you fall to God a hundred times, a hundred times he will accept you and love you and receive you. He doesn't have any repelling force from his children. Well, I can hear you now. You can say, you know, you're kind of speaking a little bit of a foreign language with this whole center of gravity stuff. I don't even know. I don't even, I'm not sure what that means. How do I make God the center of of what I do. You know when you go to ladies meetings sometimes, sometimes they'll have a question and answer time. I'm glad you don't have that here. <laughs> Can I just say that? <laughs> I'm glad you don't have it. Um, but some, sometimes you go and you know what question you always get and I would guarantee you if, some, if we had one here, somebody here would ask this question. How do you balance your life? How do you, how do you set your priorities? What do you do to balance your life? And you know, it's so easy to say, number one, God. Number two, your family. Number three, your children. Number four, you serve the Lord. Number five, others. And, and you put a list there. And I'm not against doing those things. But let me, tell you, let me tell you what's worked for me. Everything I tell you is just what has worked for me. And some things I'll tell you have not worked for me. But it's my goal. <laughs> but this is something that has worked for me. And you take it or leave it. If, if this is a philosophy that will help you, great. If not... Go back to number one, two, and three if that works for you. But I'm just going to tell you that long ago, I accepted God as the hub of the wheel of my life. Which means that with every rotation of that wheel, every start to turn, there is a new spoke that has to feel the weight of the pressure of that wheel, of that bike. And so with every new spoke that gets pushed with the pedals and, and the wheels start to go... God is a part of that. God is the center of all of that. It's not like I, number one, God, and then I can leave him out of the rest. When God is the hub, the center of the wheel of my life, he's part of everything. He makes everything go. Everything stems from him. And then you do the next thing. And he is there with you, and he will always be there with you. But number one, how do I make God my center of gravity, the hub of my wheel. Number one, I need to picture my potential life where he is my center of gravity. When I went to college, I knew that I was a very messed up, bitter, angry young woman and I knew I needed help. And that's one of the reasons I even went away to college was because I knew I I needed to change. I didn't know how, but I, I needed to change. So I viewed my life as a wall And I started to label the blocks that I was missing from my life that everybody else seemed to have. Things like security. Um, my, My empty spaces, I had a lack of security, a fear of rejection. You know, when your dad walks out, it's just something that you deal with. I had a terrible fear of rejection. I went away to Bible college, and I wanted to remain single the rest of my life. I wanted to go back home to my church and start a home for troubled girls. And my pastor and I had talked about it, and I was just set that that's what God wanted me to do. And then my pastor resigned after my freshman year. <laughs> and I said, well, okay. And then I started to try to formulate another plan on my own, and God very quickly told me, no, you're, you're going to spend the rest of your life helping somebody, because you're going to need them, and they're going to need you. And when I met my husband, I knew, this is it. <laughs> this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. But I had asked God to send people my way to fill in those empty spots of the wall of my life. And you know what? He did. He did. And I can't even go into all the ways just for lack of time. But ask God to help you fill those in. But if you're going to know what the empty spaces are, you have to take a long, hard, honest look at yourself and your weaknesses. And you have to really evaluate And you have to sort of come to grips with why you do what you do and why you are what you are. And ask God to help you fill those in. Number two, I need to go back in time to acknowledge his presence with me at every turn. You know, I talked in my first session about kids doing the math on their parents. And the truth is, there is no perfect home. My goodness, you know, I people have started to ask my husband and I about. Could you write a joint children's book? And I've said this for a long time. I I just don't see myself ever doing that because here's why, because every page would be. I just prayed, God, be merciful and make up for my lack. I don't know what I'm doing. And God has been merciful. But you know, sometimes I will hear parents say, I did everything right and I don't know what happened. Well, the truth is nobody does everything right. So evaluate that. What do I have to do? What do I need to do? A few years ago I was given a book about a lady named Gretchen Carlson. Has anybody ever heard of her? She used to be on Fox News Before that, she was a Miss America. And before that, she was a child prodigy on the violin. And she was taught by a teacher at Juilliard. And uh, this is how her teacher began instructing her on the very first day, the very first lesson. She said, Gretchen, put down the violin and tell me where you want this violin to take you in life. And Gretchen said to her, I wanna be on the stage at Carnegie Hall. And the teacher said to her, well, that is a worthy goal. Let's talk about that. What are you wearing? And Gretchen told her what she was wearing. And she said, what does the orchestra look like? And she described it. And she was seeing mental pictures of it. And do you know they took time over the next several weeks to never, not even pick up the violin, but to walk Gretchen back in time all the way to that day when she would say, wow, now I see what this violin can do for me what we could do together. And I thought, you know what? I've done that. Not with a violin, but with my life. I've looked back on the day when I had to walk down the aisle without a dad holding my arm. My oldest brother gave me away that day. And I've pictured myself in that fluffy white gown and my brother in a borrowed suit because he forgot his tuxedo. Oh. And I've pictured standing there and looking up at my brother who was doing his best to encourage me that day. But you know what else I've done? Always in my life, I just sort of had this, this picture that, yeah, God knew about it, but, you know, it, it just kind of was a life event, and maybe he really didn't have a whole lot to do with that. But, you know, when I started looking back in my life, I pictured God on the other side of me God walked me down the aisle that day God was my dad I went back to a time when I was my 14th birthday and my dad who I hadn't seen since I was 11 he actually called me that morning and said he was gonna come by now I told you already my dad was blind so he couldn't drive a car he was gonna have somebody bring him so he told me he was coming at noon we had steps there on our little front porch. And so I went outside and I sat there on the steps, my 14 year old self with my ponytail braid and a white t-shirt and my sneakers. And I just sat there and I waited and I waited. And my mom was calling me to come in about four o'clock. And I said, no mom, it'll just be a little bit longer. My parents never spoke from the day my dad left. It, was, it wasn't that it was ugly. It just wasn't. <laughs> and so I didn't want to spare her. I wanted to spare her any hurt. But I, I just, no, it'll be just a little bit longer. I know. I know it. Finally, about 8 o'clock that night, I went inside. We had my birthday dinner. We had cake. And for a long time, I just thought, man, why did God let that? I never did He'd get an explanation why he didn't come. It was another 10 years before I even saw him again. But you know what I realized? I wasn't sitting out there alone. <laughs> because God was not hovering over me, watching, looking down with pity. God was sitting right here by me going, if you just give me this, I, I know you feel alone, but you gotta give me this. I'm here, you may not feel me right in this moment, but one day you're gonna know I, I was there. I wasn't looking down as Lord over you, I was sitting next to you as your Father. And I will help you heal from that. And I went back to the time when I came running through our little trailer where we were living in the back of our church property. And, you know, my dad, because he was a blind evangelist, had 26 volumes of the Bible in Braille. And I, all of his Bibles were gone. And, and I said to my brother who had run after me, I said, somebody stole all daddy's Bibles. And he said, oh, you're such an idiot. Who would steal Braille Bibles? I don't know, but they're gone. And I went back to look in his closet. Every last stitch of clothing that man owned was gone. And I had always viewed God as looking down on that little trailer going, oh, those poor kids, that poor lady. But you know what I realized after a time? God had my hand walking to that closet because he knew I'd find nothing. He walked with me to my parents' bathroom, looking for my dad's toothbrush. I was never alone. He was right there by me. And I experienced healing from that. Do I still have some healing? Are there some things that set me off? Sure. But God has been faithful. When I began to realize he was there. When I was 10 years old, my mom came to pick me up from school one day. We lived in the back of the church and school property, and we were standing in the foyer. She was just saying hi to her friends, and of course my dad had been gone for a few months at this point. And we're standing in the lobby, and a police officer walked in, and he said, I need Marjorie Hayes. And my mom, who was holding my right hand, I was holding her left hand, she said, that's me. And my mom was served with divorce papers in the lobby of our church how humiliating and I remember walking with her just gripping her hands so tightly and I didn't understand in my childlike mind what it all meant but we left and we were walking home and I said well I guess that's the last time we'll ever be back there and my mom said well why that's not those people's church that's God's church and until God tells us we can leave it We're going right back there for church. I'm telling you, my my mom ruined me for every weak Christian on this planet. She realized there was more to church than fighting over color schemes and somebody looked at me funny. We went back to that church and we were there for almost another year before God moved us. But you have to look back and acknowledge his presence with you at every turn. The divide is not great. It's not that God is removed from every event of your life. He is right there with you. We don't have time to turn, but in Luke 24... Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with the men walking there. And, of course, they're telling him things that they had just experienced in Jerusalem. And they're bummed about it because they just watched the Lord they love be crucified. And so they're telling Jesus about it, walking down the road. And if you'll look it up sometime on your own, verse 19, Jesus is walking with them. And, they're, of course, they don't know who he is. But he's just getting them to tell them more and more information. And, and so they said, you, you haven't heard you didn't hear about what happened in Jerusalem? The things that transpired, you, didn't, you don't know about that? And Jesus looked at them that when I, the first time it really caught me, it blew my mind. Jesus looked at them and said a two-word phrase that is just incredible. He said to them, what things? Had he already experienced it? Sure. Did he want to hear about it from them? Absolutely. What is it that you've had going on in your life that you just think, oh, well, God knows? Does he? Does he know it from you? Don't be afraid to tell him those things. How do I keep God as my center of gravity? Number one, remind myself God has made a commitment to take care of me. Matthew 6, 31 and 32 says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. You know, we get so worked up over things that are not eternal. My mom used to say, Don't cry over things that can't cry over you. You know, homes, cars... Clothes. These things can't shed tears for us. These things have no emotions for us. You know who cries? People. And we have a whole generation of young people that need us to hit our knees in prayer for them, asking God to be involved in their lives. Number two, understand that the most reliable evidence that I have that God loves me is that I love him. 1 <laughs> John four nineteen says, We love him because... He first loved us. We can't initiate love with God. Our best effort will always be just a response. We can say, I love you, God. And you know what he says? Oh, I loved you before you were anything, I loved you with the cross. Number three, I must keep track of the ways God shows me he loves me every day. Psalm 68 19 says, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. God has a track record with me and if you've been his child for even one day, he's got a track record of faithfulness with you too. I have a friend named Rachel who once in a while will send me things and say, what do you think about this book or what do you think about this sermon or what do you think about this? And she sent me something one day where a a, preacher, a pretty well-known national preacher, was saying, your walk with God every day should be so fresh that it's like it's brand new. And you know, on the surface, I thought, yeah, that's, that's really, that's good. And then a few minutes later, it hit me, but I've built a life of hearing from him and walking with him. He's got a track record with me. Every day I open up that word and commune with him and talk with him. I can't let go of all that and be like it's new because we have a history. He's got a track record. I can count on him. Yes, should it be fresh and should I want to get new things from his word every day? Of course, but you understand what I'm saying. You can't act like a baby Christian your whole life. There has to be a deeper walk with him and relying on the track record he has with you of being there and caring for you. Number four, I must learn to see myself as the one Jesus loves, not the one he tolerates. I'm afraid this is how most Christians, especially most Christian women, see themselves. I'm the one that God puts up with. John 19 26 says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. John identified him that way. Jesus never said, that's the disciple that I really love. And everybody else is just, "Eh." John said, I'm the one he loves. He knew it. He was convinced of it. When John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, you'll notice if you read that first chapter that he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. When, it, when Sunday came around, John had church. And you know what? I don't know how many times that happened, but he was faithful to it and he kept track of it. And you know what? It wasn't too long before one day he heard, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And he got a whole book of Revelation that we are still reading today. And do you know there is a promise in that book of Revelation? A promise that whoever reads that book will have a blessing. Because John was faithful and believed that he was loved by Jesus Christ. Number five, no matter how perfectly I have been loved, I still need to go to the perfect source of love, Jesus Christ. This is... Keeping God as the center of everything. Reminding myself he's my center of gravity. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Great families need great love. Don't ever look at your family and say, You know what? We got this. You know why? Because Satan is always on the prowl. He is always, and you know, I understand from time to time you'll hear a preacher say, you know, I'm just not big enough fish for Satan to fry. But you know what my Bible says? It says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. That's something where God says, I want you to have a wake up call here. He's on the prowl for you, he's your adversary. Number six, I need to let God resurrect me along with his creation every morning, then stay connected all day. This morning, I was in a strange place, but I flung open the curtains and I stood there and I saw, I couldn't see the sun, but I saw those rays bouncing across those other buildings and I thought, God, there you are. I opened my eyes, I'm just, I put on my coffee and I'm stumbling over there to the window and it's still dark. But I I see those little glimpses of him start to come. And you know, God resurrects me. Anything that's dead in your life, once it touches the resurrection, it cannot stay dead. Let God have a place in your heart. You know, for me, it's the first thing in the morning. Just because I want to connect with him as soon as I open my eyes. I I want my heart to be grateful to him, and I want to convey that. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. I mentioned Jonathan Edwards a while ago. Do you know when he was a young boy, he wrote a hundred different notebooks about science and observations of creation? And he came to this conclusion. Yes, God made the world functional, but he also made it beautiful. Why did he do that? For me. And Jonathan Edwards was so convinced of the love of God and through creation. Number seven, I need to help someone else make God their center of gravity. Somebody that you and I know today needs their faith strengthened. Daniel 12.3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. I'm going to just take a little shot here, and we'll be done in, in just a couple of minutes don't say anything just yet, but I I want to know if there's somebody in this room and you have a friend that is here today or an acquaintance or somebody that you know and you know whether they've made you aware of it or, or asked for prayer, maybe they posted something on Facebook, but you know they have a physical need of some kind. They have a tangible physical need of some, maybe you've been praying about it for them Maybe it's something that is just a little thing. Maybe somebody is saying, hey, if you're on Marketplace and you you happen to see this, keep your eyes open for me. Maybe it's something along those lines, but you know of somebody in this room that has a physical need. Would you raise your hand? Oh, there's a lot more than I thought there was going to be. Mrs. Green, who is the person in this room that you know that has a physical need? What is your need, Joanna? Do you feel comfortable saying it? Need you need a couch. You all live real close together, not too far within driving distances. Anybody in this room have a couch that you are selling or you are getting rid of in some way, and you would be willing to give it to Joanna Green or, or sell it. You ha- Lisa, is that you back there? Okay. Um, are you selling it currently? How much would you be asking for it? All right, we're going to do this. Lisa is going to show you the pictures. You're going to see if you like it. And Lisa has two kids in college. So I don't think Amanda and Adrienne will mind, but I'm going to give this to Lisa. I want your faith strengthened today. God has a plan for you. God has something for you. I don't know if you can see what Lisa looks like in the back. She's on the last row back there. But you guys need to connect. I think this is going to be good. God has something for you. He has a way, He has a plan. He has something. Hang in there with Him. God will never, ever reject you, He doesn't have that capability. He loves you. As his child, he only knows, come to me. He has a way for you. I'll tell you one story, and I'll be done. For a long time, 13 years, we had a dog. That dog was like the best dog ever. He was half beagle, half Dalmatian. His name was Rocky. And my husband rescued that dog from a terrible situation. And when he brought Rocky home, he never one time fed or walked that dog. But Rocky loved him more than me and all the kids combined. And I would give that dog bacon. <laughs> and I, I would hold bacon and I would say, come here, Rocky. But if he was sitting by my husband, he would not budge. And it, boy, it used to make me mad. And then we'd try to make a, you know, like a contest out of it. I will get that dog to come to me. But he never would. You know why? Because he never forgot that my husband drove down there, got him from that terrible place. Brought him home where he was loved and cared about. You know, we're dumber than dogs sometimes. Because we have the most wonderful Heavenly Father who is constantly working things out like spider webs and constantly making connections and saying, hey, I've got this over here. Hey, let me do this for you over here. But we're always, no, I got it. I got it. I'm good. Look on the track record that God has with you. Let him commune with you. Let him love you. He's dying to show you how much he cares. I'd like for everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to turn it over to Mrs. Brown, but I want to have a word of prayer. You